Greetings, dreamers, and welcome to Dreaming Bipolar with Shine Fab Moon. I'm Shine Fab Moon, and I dream bipolar the way I live bipolar because I am bipolar. And even though I was miraculously cured of my major bipolar episodes about a decade ago, today I'm going to share with you the bipolar dream I had last night. I will be sharing my dreams with you in short episodes every Tuesday. So let's get started with last night's bipolar dream. In last night's bipolar dream, it was a very short and very weird bipolar dream. My ex-husband Sam and I were married and living together again in St. Louis. We joined a club for geniuses, and I can assure you that neither of us are really geniuses. But there we were in this club for the ultra brilliant. Now this is where it goes from unbelievable to just plain weird. I walked through the door to enter the club, and I turned into Sylvia Plath, the genius poet who committed suicide back in the 1960s by sticking her head in an oven and turning the gas on while her children were sleeping. She'd been abandoned by her husband, as the famous tale goes. But in my dream, I walk through the door into this club for geniuses and turn into the great poet. And when everyone saw who I was, they strapped a baby on a stick to my back, then put a bag over my head, tied the bag closed, then took me to a dark place to rot. This was my bipolar dream, no kidding. I never had children. I always knew that I shouldn't for a variety of reasons, but in this dream, I was Sylvia Plath with a baby strapped on a stick to my back and a bag over my head while my ex-husband Sam was saying, she used to be so happy, but after they put her in that bag, when she came out, she was never the same. She went mad. And that was my bipolar dream last night. Absolutely no kidding, it freaked me out. I woke up wondering what it could mean. In context with my life, my bipolar life, it makes a little bit of sense, but not a lot. The first thing I wondered when I woke up was if I could have been Sylvia Plath in a past life. While I do believe in reincarnation, at the same time, I believe that I have no ability to know for certain who I might have been in a past life. That is beyond the gifts I have been given at this point in time. So I do believe in reincarnation, and yes, I am a Christian, and yes, I don't see any dissonance between the two beliefs. I am of the opinion that when Christ says that we must be reborn to come to the kingdom of God, he means it literally as well as figuratively. It's just that the Catholic Church in a certain year at a certain council meeting decided that they couldn't keep power and control of the peasants as easily if the idea of reincarnation continued to be perpetuated. So the Catholic Church eradicated the truth of how we are reincarnated life after life. And this erasure of the truth of the cycle of life and death leaves us today with a weird system of belief that really makes no sense to me. I mean, how illogical is it that we only get one chance at this thing called life? There is too much to learn spiritually and in every other respect. It just makes sense that we would be reborn, that we would have to be reborn and will be reborn again and again. 
And when you think of all the stories of children who do and say such things when they are so young, speaking languages they never learned or heard, telling people they were their long lost husband or brother or whatever relationship they remember having with someone in their past lives, which they still have the memory of for a while after birth. It's endlessly fascinating to me and there's plenty to say about it. But as far as my bipolar dream of last night goes, all I can say is I have no way to know who I was in a past life and I never can quite understand how others except for very young children can either. It's always tough for me to believe when someone says that they know they were Mary Queen of Scots or whoever they are claiming to be for whatever reason. I'm not saying it's not possible that they were who they claim to have been, but I don't know how anyone can be 100% certain without some form of evidence connecting them to the past, which some people do produce actually. But back to my bipolar dream of Sylvia Plath. When I was a poetry major in college, people used to tell me I looked like Sylvia Plath. My physical resemblance to the famous poet is hardly evidence of my being her reincarnated though. I certainly love writing poetry and at one time longed to be as successful as Plath, of course, but I did not have what it takes. People loved my poetry, but I was not dynamic enough, witty enough, whatever it was that was required to get people to believe in me or my poetry or something, I don't know really. In short, being introverted to the point of practically becoming a hermit, I certainly never had a personality like Plath who wowed people everywhere she went with her dazzling charm and her writing, of course, and whatever else it was that got her noticed. I have to admit that when people told me I looked like Plath all those years ago, the thought crossed my mind that I was her reincarnated and that I had been sent back to have this bipolar life I have as punishment for how Plath, or maybe me, if I had been her, had killed herself, or myself, or whoever. There was, however, no way to know. There was only the story in my head that was fascinating to consider, and I tried to write a book about this whole idea as the premise long ago, but as with everything else, all the volumes and volumes of books of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry I write, it has thus far gone nowhere. It sits on my computer and gathers digital dust thus far. Maybe someday, I tell myself, maybe someday it will come into the light of day and be read. Yet here and now, I am trying to tell the story in a podcast, this story which I had actually forgotten about for a long time, this idea that I am Sylvia Plath reincarnated. It is a bipolar dream that reminded me of this idea that makes a great story, this fictional account that could never be proved one way or the other to be true or not true. Aside from looking like her and loving poetry, there is one other thing that might link me to Plath. This whole thing in my bipolar dream where the baby is strapped to my back and then I am suffocated with a bag over my head until I go mad. Well, Plath certainly wrote quite a bit about her frustrations of taking care of children while trying to pursue her career. Now I am finally getting to what I think the crux of this dream is all about. You see, some stuff is going on in my life, some stuff that gets to the deepest wound in my heart, possibly. Something happened recently between me and my mother, and I am realizing profoundly since a few days ago, really, that my mother has always essentially despised me all of my life. I'm realizing how this deep knowledge I have always had that my mother despised me even before she voiced her opinion 
so clearly a few days ago. This knowledge of how unloved and unwanted I have been all my life, well, it has made me mad. It has made me bipolar. It has made me not want children. It has made me a lot of things, but, or have I made me this? Who, what has made me this? I am what I am. And, but, and essentially whatever happened or is happening or I allow to happen has driven me to write poetry in massive, massive quantities. So what happened exactly? What were the circumstances that prompted my mother to really let loose at last and sock it to me with her absolute look of loathing and contempt while she told me she thought I was a spoiled brat who always had to have everything her own way? I mean, that's not all she said, but that was what I really, that's the phrase that I really remember. Wow, I heard her say that and some serious dissonance took place in my brain and in my soul. You see, I really am having a hard time trying to remember when exactly it was that I had everything my way. Um, but in my family, there were five kids and I was right in the middle, the smallest child in the runt who got locked in the workroom by my older siblings and bossed around by my younger sister who was bigger than me. As my mother sat at the kitchen table and looked at me just this weekend in absolute contempt, I was really trying to remember when I was a spoiled brat. Maybe it was when I was very young, before the age of 10. I have so few memories of my life before the age of 10. It was during those years that I was sexually molested by my older brother and a group of his buddies from a private school. And there, I said it. I spoke the secret that was never supposed to be spoken. Me too, I am telling you. It happened to me too, ladies and gentlemen. Those of us who have been there know what it's like, but I hope for you someone came to your defense. To this day, my mother refuses to acknowledge what happened to me. She will never tarnish her favorite oldest child's reputation, as she calls it. So there I was a few days ago, my mother attacking me for being a spoiled brat always, among other things. I stood there shaking actually. I was just trembling in confusion and I suppose some form of bipolar terror, yet also shaking from absolute gaslit bafflement as to who I have always been if I was in fact a spoiled child while my memories tell me otherwise. Okay, let's back up just a bit more and explain why my mother was attacking me like this in the first place. Let's back up a few years, in fact, to when the pandemic started. At that time, I came home from China and moved in with my mom and older sister. Things were okay for a while. I finished my job in China by teaching over Zoom. Then I spent about a year trying to learn how to self-publish my books. I went through my savings and mom told me I had to start teaching again. Now, here's the thing. I understand that I needed to start teaching again. I needed to start earning money. But meanwhile, my older sister, who is as favored as my older brother, I'm afraid, well, she was not told ever to go get a job. She is to this day allowed to stay home and pursue her career as a painter. This blatant favoritism struck me as not being fair and being stuck in this terrible sibling rivalry. I became angry with the situation, realizing that this has been the story of my life. Now then, why, you might ask, don't I simply move out? That is a really good question. Well, the thing is, I have a PhD, but no teaching certification. And much of my teaching experience is in teaching at the high school level, but overseas. 
So I'm trying to finish getting my certification so that I can get a job somewhere here in the States and leave this madhouse called my home. Meanwhile, I walk around through this house every day where my sister's paintings are hanging on every wall in every room, rendering this home a museum for my sister's life. There are photos of my siblings and their children, but there is not one photo of me anywhere. So I live here like an alien resident, and by alien I mean the kind from another planet, a being who is so different and apart from the other beings in residence here that I might as well not even be of the same species. I am just existing here, surviving, biding my time, staying as much as possible in my room, doing my work and grading papers until I can get away. At one point, a few months ago, for some reason I got this idea in my head that maybe family therapy would help the situation. Maybe we could all go to a therapist and talk through this situation. Maybe eventually my mother and sister would hear and comprehend my point of view and we could work things out together. So it took quite a while, but we got things figured out with insurance and the appointments scheduled. And this is the week we are supposed to get started. To get started, we are supposed to have individual intake appointments first. So my older sister had her appointment last Friday and she came home and over breakfast Saturday morning announced that all of the family counseling appointments should end up going on my health insurance because in my older sister's words, I am the one with the problem. Right then and there, I knew it was hopeless. I mean, I had already been suspecting it would be. After all, for the last how many decades, I have been the scapegoat for every, everything. Um, the crazy daughter, sister, who can't do anything right. For the last how many decades, I have managed to survive their gaslighting techniques. They're essentially narcissistic tactics of turning me into a crazy person so that they can maintain their illusions of how they are so very mentally healthy and in control. Can you relate if you are bipolar? Have you been in a similar situation with your family? Well, this situation I could, I could immediately see was not going to work out. So I said, forget it. I will cancel my intake appointment with the therapist. I have no desire to be a part of a charade of so-called family therapy where we sit around for an hour and blame me, the bipolar daughter or sister for the problems of our life. I outright asked my mother and sister, can't you see that you are part of the problem too? And they refuse to admit that they have any problems they actually refuse to admit that they have any problems. Have you ever been in such a similar situation? If you're bipolar, I don't doubt you have. Then my mother started going on about how she doesn't trust me because I'm bipolar. She suspects that I am going to destroy my older sister's artwork. Wow. And I just really, I mean really, I started shaking all over in horror and shock. My mother really believes I am capable of such a thing. What on earth? I mean, even when I was at my, in my worst episode of what is believed to be a bipolar episode, which I'm not sure was, I think it might've been a Kundalini awakening, but even then, all I wanted to do was dance. I never destroyed anything. But so I stammered out, how can you even think such a thing about your own daughter? And that's when she said that I had always been a spoiled brat who had to have everything her own way and that I was not to be trusted and that 
she was, and the look on her face, it was what just topped it all off. And yeah, she looked at me as if I were the absolute worst scum of the earth. And so I went back to my room, shut the door, and what could I do? I can't leave yet. I have to finish the job that I have at the school this year so that I can get a recommendation for another job somehow. Meanwhile, the school pays less than minimum wage, so I can't afford an apartment even. It's crazy. So as I'm creating this podcast, I can hear my mom and older sister out in the living room laughing together while watching TV. My sister, who is supposedly pursuing an artistic career under the patronage of her greatest fan, my mother, mostly just sits around and watches TV a great deal of the time. Oh, I forgot one other thing I was blamed for during the discussion Saturday morning. My older sister told me I was giving them ulcers. I actually managed to stand up for myself after this accusation by pointing out that ulcers are caused by bacteria, not people you hate. I could have also pointed out that maybe if they would exercise and wash their hands with soap after using the bathroom, they might not have so many stomach problems. So. Wow. Oh my gosh. Did you know that narcissists tend not to wash their hands after using the bathroom? It is disgusting, but true, according to Google. Apologies for the sarcasm, but I am being driven really over the edge lately, and I am slightly concerned that I could have a bipolar breakdown again. But there are no signs of it at all so far. I am keeping busy doing my work, my yoga, my routines, staying in my room, and you can't imagine how much I appreciate your listening to my decompression venting for the moment. Ultimately though, to get back to my bipolar dream of last night, Plath had a mother who was quite doting and attentive to her throughout her life, a huge contrast to what I have experienced in this incarnation. So is this another form of punishment or just my karma working itself out if I did commit suicide before in another life, whether I was Plath or somebody else. The bipolar dream of me as a reincarnated version of the magnificent poet. Well, ultimately, what I think it is trying to tell me is that my life is the way it is for some reason that I do not yet fully understand. Pretty profound. Yeah. In spiritual terms, I understand that before birth, I chose my mother, my sisters, my family, my husbands who would become ex-husbands. Before birth, I chose them all for some reason. What that reason is, I have no idea. Aside from, you know, I'm learning, uh, I'm learning to be patient. I'm learning to love. I'm learning to love myself, be patient with myself. I am meant to learn something from them anyway. I am to learn something to advance me in my karmic path of salvation. So when the second coming happens and all religions are as one at last as they are in fact, as I believe. You don't have to believe that. It's just my my opinion. But um and I'm not trying to push it on you or anything. But um well only at that time in in my perspective, only then maybe I will understand my dream from last night. I am not Sylvia Plath. I am Shine Fab Moon and my experiences have left me with a deep yearning to just retire to a cloister and do yoga and meditate and write all the time. For I know living this way, as my heart calls me to live, could possibly send me back to heaven where I lived for three months after a possible kundalini awakening. My life was absolutely magical then, but I had to come back to this plane of existence. 
still the feeling that my life is very magical and there are powers at work beneath the surface manifesting from my dream world into my life is very real. We are all manifesting our reality from day to day and I think that manifesting begins in our dream life. And in my dream life also begins poetry. So now I will conclude this episode with a poem. I hope you will let me know if you have any ideas what my bipolar dream about being Sylvia Plath last night could mean. And if you record your own dreams, go ahead and share one with me at the email in my show notes so that I can start adding the dreams of my listeners to the show in the future. Thanks for listening and happy bipolar dreams, whether you're bipolar or not. The hotel where I am staying once again has no locks on its doors. Oh well, oh well, who needs to be safe inside when outside in the night your surgeon has set up the operating table beside the road where, see, you are already being fixed. You're lying there, see, on the gurney by the road and the anesthesia is dripping into your veins. Drip, drippity drip, and you are just lying there waiting to wake up young and beautiful or at least with joints that will never ache again. The surgeons have it under control. So you step inside your lockless room a moment and close the door. Wait, why bother? You leave the door open and lie on the bed and read and read, read, read poetry until, oh, you wake up and hurry to the door to find out how your surgery is going. But where is the gurney? Where are the surgeons, the anesthesiologist, your body? Gone, gone, gone away into a world you may never find while here You are doomed to wait without a body, without pain, without a lock on any door, but all the poetry you need to get you through what's left of your time, your time, your endless time reading poetry. Poetry.